Okay. So those of you that are NFL fans have probably seen this clip dozens of times. And those of you that are not football fans may have already spontaneously lost consciousness just in that brief time. Um, for you, I assure you, we're not talking about football this morning, but there is an analogy here. So if you'll stick with me through this explanation of the clip, it will be helpful for you this morning. So this is a clip from a few years ago, the end of a game, super controversial. And uh, really the reason that the that play was so... Um, memorable, it has to do with the referees. So in football, you probably know you've got two teams, and they're both trying to take a football and move it to the end zone or kick it through uprights to score the most points in the game. Yeah, I think we've all got that, yes. So uh, to, to make sure that goes well, there's a team of referees, And the referee's job is to know the rules and to enforce the rules, to kind of keep the game moving, uh, to stop it and start it when it needs to be stopped and started, and to enforce the rules. So if an individual or, or a group of people, a team, breaks a rule, they stop play, they throw a flag, and there's consequences for it. And so um, the reason that we need referees in football is, you, you may be aware, the individuals on the field and the people on the sideline are slightly biased regarding the application of the rules. They, they're generally aware of the rules, but in any given play, um, their perspective on how the rules play out is fairly biased. So the referees exist to be unbiased, objective, knowledgeable enforcers of the rules. So that's where this clip plays, uh, comes into play. A few years ago, there was a strike The referees went on strike. If you're not a football fan, this probably sounds really silly, and that's because it's really silly. But it happened, and the NFL is primarily not about football. It's primarily about money. And so they were not going to allow the strike of referees to stop their money machines, so they found some uh, some replacement refs, and I'm not sure about what the selection process was, but based on the fruit of their labors, I think they just went into some sports bars and were like, hey, would anyone like to be an NFL referee? We've got some openings. So throughout the first few weeks of the season, there was outcry and people were frustrated, bad calls, wrong calls, maybe bias. There was rumors that some of the refs were betting on games that they were officiating. Yeah, that's not unbiased. Uh, And it culminated in this game where in the last play, the Seahawks throw up this prayer Hail Mary, and it simultaneously caught. It looks like it's an interception by the Packers, but there's that classic moment where there's two refs standing right next to each other. And the real refs would have a little conversation to make sure they're on the same page and then make the same ruling together. These refs did not talk, so one of them does this, which means touchdown. And the other one does this, which means no touchdown. And they're right beside each other, so nobody missed that moment that was watching the game. And so there was a final call, and um, as all memorable moments in sports history are commemorated, there's a nickname for this play. Does anybody remember the nickname for this play? Anybody? The Fail Mary. So the long pass is the Hail Mary. This particular one has been commemorated as the Fail Mary. Mary. 
And uh, the reason it was a fail is because there was these replacement refs and they just weren't, they weren't sufficient. So again, I promise we're not talking about football this morning, uh, but we are talking about referees. And we're not talking about referees of football, but we're talking about referees in our individual lives. You might not know that you have a referee in your life. You may not have seen someone with black and white striped shirt following you around. Uh, But you do have a referee in your life, and we're going to talk about that. But first, uh, please join me in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for the really unique opportunity to come together on a weekly basis with people that, are, that we're in community with and uh, worship you and remind ourselves and remind each uh, other of who you are and talk about what it looks like to live in light of who you are and who you are meant to be in our lives and how we are created to live with you. And I ask that you would be present with us, that we would be aware of that presence and that you would speak your truth uh, through me this morning. You would all be impacted by your truth. Amen. Uh, So um, our talk about referees is going to stem from a half of one verse in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians. And while you're turning, I'll give some context. So Colossians is a letter in the New Testament. As far as we know, it was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And he wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, which is a city, to the church in Colossae, the Colossian church. And the occasion for the letter, what prompted him to write it, is that there was a heresy, a a false teaching that was really um, gaining ground and and rooting itself into the Colossian community and the Colossian church. And so Paul was writing to, 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 to refute this heresy, this false teaching. And he doesn't specifically say what the false teaching is, but it's evident from the content of Paul's letter that the issue really is rooted in a a false teaching that diminishes the person of Christ and diminishes who Christ is and what Christ's role is in creation and reality in our lives. And so what Paul does is he spends the first half of the letter reiterating who Christ is, that he is the fullness of the deity. He is God in the flesh that Christ is the creator, that Christ holds everything together, that everything in reality is held together by him. It's from him and it's, and it's through him, that he's the founder of the church. All these things that, that reinforce the high Christology, the loftiness of who Christ is. And after establishing that for the first half of the letter, he spends the second half describing if, if Christ is who I'm claiming him to be in this letter, and we are claiming him as our, as our Lord, and claiming his power and his redemption and his reconciliation through his death on the cross and resurrection, if we're claiming that in our lives, this then is what our lives should look like. This is how we should be living. So the entire second half of the letter is explaining what our lives should look like if we're embracing this Christ as Lord. And so we're going to look at just one half of one verse. If I was doing a sermon series, I would spend three months going paragraph uh, or going phrase by phrase through what uh, Paul, uh, God through Paul calls us to. But I've just got one week, so I'm going to cherry pick what I want to talk about. It's nice. Uh, So we're looking at one half of one verse, and it's Colossians chapter 3, 
the first half of verse 15, and it's going to magically appear right up here on the screen. It is, uh, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I grew up in the church. Uh, my, my grandfather was the pastor of the church that I was basically born into and was at Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and have been in church and so um, have been familiar with lots of Scripture all my life. And one of the liabilities of that is there's passages that just sound really good and I like, but have never really dug into or studied to understand the real meaning of. And this is one of them. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I mean, what Christian, what follower of Christ wouldn't want that, whatever it means, the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, that sounds good. And I think my subtle assumption has always been that ruling, when I think of ruling, I think of like a throne, a king, a sovereign ruler. Um, let, you know, let the peace of Christ be the reign in your heart, be, be the king of your heart. And that's definitely true and definitely needed, but definitely not what Paul is saying here exactly. Uh, The original letter from Paul to the Colossians was in Greek, as you may or may not know. And so the word that that translators translate rule in the Greek, if if it was translated literally, would basically be let let the peace of Christ be the referee of your heart. Now you may be thinking, wait a second, American football was not quite yet established at the time Paul wrote this letter. Very true. Um, But the Olympic Games were started over 700 years before Paul wrote this letter. And in the ancient Olympics, there were referees that had the same uh, role. They knew the rules and they enforced the rules. And so what Paul is saying here is that in your heart, there is the need of a referee. And that referee needs to be the peace of Christ. So you might be thinking like, referee in my heart, I don't have a game going on in my heart. There's not a competition. There's not fans. Um, And there's lots of ways we could illustrate this, but I think I'm just going to use, so one of the main roles referees have that everybody gets frustrated with is they throw flags. And so so in our lives, we have a referee. So this is kind of how that plays out. You are, uh, you're on your way to work, maybe you're running a little bit late, and another driver that is anonymous, you don't know who they are, they do something to impede your progress. You throw a flag. It's a five-yard penalty, impeding my progress to work. Let's enforce that. Stop the play. That needs to be enforced. I heard a snort. That is good. You know you're doing good when you get a snort. You and your spouse have established a deal. You've got several young children. They wake up at unholy hours, and you've made an agreement. You're going to alternate every other morning. You'll switch back and forth getting up with the kids. You have graciously, lovingly gotten up with the children two mornings in a row because you're a saint. And it's the third morning. And you happen to know that your spouse stayed up way too late last night binge-watching their favorite show on Netflix. So they were not up late for a good reason. The youngest child comes running in the room. And your spouse with bleary eyes rolls over and says, 
Could you get out of the kids? Ten-yard penalty. Inconsiderate parenting. Stop the game and enforce the penalty right now. You're a college student. Come home from classes. Every day of the week, you've had to sit down with your roommate because they're a slob. You have very clear roles in keeping the room clean, and they abdicated their role sometime last semester. You come home from class, and what has changed? Nothing has changed. That's a throw flag. Penalty. Ten yards, slovenly room. Enforce it. Stop play. The entire United States government gets shut down. The whole government. How is this possible? And you're furious because the fill-in-the-blank party, which happens to be the party that you don't align with, it's all their fault. Penalty. Incompetent governing. 15-yard penalty. Loss of down. Stop play. Enforce it. If your heart is anything like my heart, there are flags flying all over the place from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And you're enforcing those penalties. You've got a referee. The question is, is it a good referee? So evaluate, think through maybe some flags you've thrown in your week this week and just reflect, if I'm really honest, just with myself, did I, did I objectively and without bias evaluate that situation and, and, and judge that and referee that? And again, if, if your referee, if your heart is anything like mine, the answer is no. Far cry from objective, far cry from unbiased, very biased, and very unobjective, and very right. Well, why is that? Well, it's, it's because for the, for the most part, for most of our days and most of our lives, we allow replacement refs to be the refs in our heart. The rightful ref is not practicing and acknowledged, but rather we're using replacement refs. And we could sit here for several days and list all kinds of different replacement refs we'll use. And I just want to mention two because they're inside of us and they're hard to get rid of just to kind of play out what this looks like. So one replacement ref that often is the referee of our heart is our pride. Our pride. Because one of the things about being ourself is we know our motives. We know our challenges. We know uh, when, when we're not really at our best, we know all the mitigating circumstances. And we know that we're trying our hardest. Whatever's going on, whatever's happened, we're doing our best. And if we're doing our best, that means we're, we're going to see ourselves in the best light possible. We're going to assume the best of ourselves. And in a refereeing situation, there can only be one right party and one wrong party. So if I'm assuming the best in myself, that means I win and you lose. So the flag's going to be thrown and you're going to be the one penalized, not me. And that makes pride 
a replacement ref. Because pride, our pride is, is inherently biased, inherently unobjective, and constantly going to be finding fault in everything outside of ourselves. because the more other individuals and organizations and governments and political parties and entire races of people can be wrong, the more we get the opportunity to be right. And that feels good. The other replacement ref that's really prominent is kind of the flip side of that coin and an even harsher replacement ref. And it's our wounds. Our wounds are a replacement ref. This might not make sense, but um, in a broken and fallen world, we get wounds. We get wounded. And we referee our lives in a defensive posture to try to not get wounded again. And God just gift-wrapped a great illustration of this last night. Last night, uh, my, my wife and, and girls went with some friends to go see a movie. And they were picking up some friends. And they have a very large and very friendly and very obedient dog. And my youngest daughter, who's four is loving on this dog that is larger than her. And unbeknownst to us, the dog has a sore foot. And that dog got nervous and thought that my little tiny four-year-old might inflict harm to the wound. And so that very friendly and very obedient dog lashed out. And so... Grace is fine, but if you see her, she looks like she was in a fierce street ball brawl. When she looked in the mirror, she said, I look like I was in a tiger fight. Um, so she took it really well. But, you know, we still trust and are a fan of that dog. Here's the reality. While, while our pride causes us to see ourselves in the best light possible, to assume the best in ourselves, Our wounds cause us to assume the worst in others. There's no way that my four-year-old daughter could have inflicted any harm on that dog. But because that dog had an unhealed wound, that dog, his first reflex was to assume the absolute worst in grace and that grace was going to injure him. So as as a referee in our heart, when we have been shamed by someone... From now on, we have the filter that we're assuming that everyone else has the intention of shaming us. And anything that they say that could be construed as shaming, that flag is out in a heartbeat. If we've been slandered, gossiped about in our past, our tendency with our wound as a referee in our heart If we get word that anyone has said anything about us in any context, our assumption, worst case scenario, defensive mechanism, they're slandering me, throw the flag. And we go about our lives not vindictively, but out of a desperate desire to not be hurt again. And our heart referees out of fear of of being hurt. These are a couple of the replacement refs. And in stark contrast, 
contrast is the ref that we were created for, that Paul is exhorting us to. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ be the referee in your heart. And the key to this is, is that word peace. And there's a combination of, of, of meaning here. Um, the, the word that in the Old Testament was translated into the, the Greek word for peace is shalom, which really means wholeness, completeness. And then in the New Testament, you kind of get an added nuance of, of stillness and rest, what we more often think of as peace. And both of those are true here. Paul is saying, for your hearts to be well refereed, your heart's referee needs to be the wholeness and the stillness and the rest, the fullness of Christ in your heart. And again, the whole first half of of Colossians is a description of who this Christ is that is meant to be the referee of our hearts. And we learn in Colossians that, that Christ is God incarnate. And Scripture also tells us that God is love. So just again, imagine, think through just a a quick mental audit of some of the the flags you've thrown this week out of a referee of pride or wounds or, or some other referee. And imagine, what would it look like? How would your internal dialogue change? And how would your reactions change if the... if in the incarnation of love, if love defined was the referee of your heart. When we feel wronged, unjust, slighted, if the referee of those situations was the incarnation of love, how would that change? What's going on in here and what's going on in our actions and our assumptions about life? If you're like me, that's much easier said than done, right? So it would take another series of sermons to really flesh out what it really means for the peace of Christ, the wholeness of Christ, the stillness and rest and fullness of Christ to be the referee of our heart. But I want to make three super, super practical suggestions. Because what's really easy to happen on Sunday mornings is to talk about high and lofty truths and then just to go back to life as usual. So I want to make really three very, very practical suggestions. And the first is this, that for, for every day, just for the next week, for every day, when you wake up, literally get on your knees and beg Christ to be the referee of your heart just for that day. Get on your knees and beg for that. I believe that the way we start our days tends to be the way we live our days. So when I wake up in a frenzy, I typically have a pretty frenzied day. And just in a few days of of trying this, of starting the day, begging Christ to be the referee of my heart, to, to, to hand down rulings in my emotional states, it's had an impact. And connected that as a second recommendation would be that 
when we have those moments where out of reflex we grab a flag and we're ready to throw it, that we would make that a prompt to go immediately to Christ in prayer and to acknowledge in that moment of of ready to jump into that referee role that we desperately need that. Man, it has been... It's, it's been so rich for me this week in, in moments of indignance, in, in moments of self-righteousness. I mean, this is all hypothetical. I don't really have any of these moments myself. But um, in these moments when typically they would trigger an internal dialogue about how everything outside of me is wrong, instead triggering a recognition of, oh man, I'm doing it again, Christ Referee my heart, bring your fullness, bring your wholeness, bring your stillness, bring your peace, bring your love, and and rule, referee my heart now. It's been rich. And third, and this this is a little harder and more abstract, I would challenge all of us to pray and reflect on whether or not there's some unhealed wounds to have a stronghold on the role of referee in our heart. I think sometimes in the church we think that the best way, the most holy way to deal with wounds is to just stuff them down or dismiss them. But no wound has ever been healed by stuffing it down or dismissing it. Wounds are meant to be moved towards and treated. And again, because we live in a fallen world, in a broken world, there, none of us are immune to being hurt. It is inevitable. It is the cost of living. And so I would challenge all of us to do some reflecting and some praying and some ask, asking of Christ to reveal in us wounds that are causing us to make assumptions And as you identify those wounds, you take those to Christ in prayer. Take them to um, a a minister that can give counsel and potentially, depending on the wound, uh, perhaps bring it to a professional counselor that can help walk you through a healing process as well. Because Christ was crucified and resurrected that, that our wounds would be healed. By his wounds... We are healed. His intention is not for us to walk around wounded. So three suggestions. Begin on your knees, begging Christ to be the referee of your heart. Use the moments in the day where you want to throw a flag as as reminders to come back to prayer of desperation that we need Christ to reign in our hearts, to be the referee of our hearts. And get curious and prayerful about potential unhealed wounds in our hearts. We're going to conclude this morning in in a really, really appropriate way. Observing a sacrament that was established the last evening Christ was on earth with his disciples before being imprisoned and then crucified. It was a sacrament that Christ established so that his Acts would be remembered so that his power would be remembered and his coming would be looked forward to. And it's, 
It's the Lord's Supper. It's communion. Where we have the symbols of bread as his body and uh, wine and juice as his blood as reminders of the fact that it is by his wounds, by his death and his resurrection, by his wounds, that we do receive healing, that we do have the capacity to return the state that we were meant to be in from creation, to have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. And so this meal, this Lord's Supper, is meant for those that do acknowledge Christ as the healer of wounds, that he has the power and position as God in the flesh to do so, and that by his death and resurrection, he has done so. I'm going to read the words of institution now from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So now, for those of you that do acknowledge Christ as the healer of our wounds, uh, we're going to observe this meal, and if, if that does not apply to you, uh, simply observe um, the followers of Christ as we worship together. Uh, the tables on this side of, um, of the sanctuary are bread and wine, and over on this side are bread and juice. And if you have um, gluten intolerance, there is under the gray-green napkin over here uh, is some gluten-free wafers as well. Uh, let me... Pray for us and let us receive the Lord's Supper. Father, I, I confess that I spend 99 at least percent of my, of my day allowing, um, allowing replacement refs to, to rule my heart and to cast judgment on everything and everyone that moves. And I'm absolutely, desperately in need of your Son to rule in my heart. I'm so thankful that you saw fit to send him to us to be wounded for us. And I ask that as we observe uh, your Son's Supper, that you would you would reinforce in us the weightiness of that sacrifice and the depth of reality of of the healing that we have before us through the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of your Son. Be with us as we celebrate together.